It's time for Larry No Spots. My guest tonight is the host of the Locked On Knicks podcast and the editor-in-chief for the Strickland, Alex the Gray Wolf. And I'm your host, Larry the Athlete Bang. Alex, thank you for joining me. Uh, Editor-in-chief, huh? Yeah, you got a little promotion lately, huh? Yeah. Yeah, you sure did. You were, uh, were you a staffer at the Strickland's before that? Well, it's brand new, so I, I launched right. as the editor-in-chief. Launched so. as the editor-in-chief, so there's no didn't way to even have to Didn't even have to work my way up the ladder. I suppose I, I uh, it worked out pretty good for me. That's that pretty respect. good. So, uh, tell me a bit about this website. Uh, it launched last week, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not even a weekend. It feels like it's been about a month. Yeah, how long... Um, yeah, go ahead. I was just say we launched uh day before the draft lotto and then have been up since then, kind of working out the kinks. But I think by and large, it's gone pretty smooth. It's been nice. Uh, you know, it's a new Nick site. Um, a bunch of us from posting and toasting, couple people from uh, Nick's film school. You know, we have Jonathan Macri writing a, a weekly column for us. Um, Jeremy Cohen joined us as well. Uh, and then, uh, you know, it, it, we're still adding new people potentially. Um, you know, we're, we're working our way through that, but it's been pretty cool. I'm just kind of trying to do our own thing, have an independent site uh, that's not answering to any, you know, overlords or whatever, because we've all had to deal with that in one place or another. So it's been it's been an interesting experience so far. It's been kind of fun. Great. Well, other people have to answer to you, right? Yeah, now they do. Yeah, yeah. now I'm the overlord. Nice. Um, yeah, I'm basically the, I'm the captain now. Meme, um, that's me now. I, I've taken over. Uh, what, Rule with an iron fist. Like yeah, Thanos. yeah. yeah. <laughs> what uh, What did you use to build the site? We did Squarespace actually. Oh. Um, yeah, it's been pretty nice. Uh, support the brand, I guess, for the Knicks, right? You know, they're the, oh, the right. jersey sponsor and everything else for the Knicks. Yeah, so. yeah. So, like, if we were Clippers fans, we would build the site on Bumble. Yeah, probably. Right. Yeah, I think that's the best way to go. If you're a Clippers fan, you make your your whole presence on Bumble. Yeah, um, that's just it's the rules, man. Uh, if you're if you're uh, an Oklahoma City Thunder fan, you have to build your whole website at Love's Truck Stop. So it's <laughs> just the breaks, you know. Yeah, got it. Got to represent the team. Uh, cool. So you uh, you have a background as a graphic designer. Is that correct? Yeah, somewhat. Um, I've been doing a lot of that work for the for the new website, which is kind of cool. But uh, yeah, I worked. Uh, I, I did more like um, like editorial layout. Um, worked for a newspaper for a while, and you know, designed pages there. And uh, now for this, I've been kind of doing my own sort of uh, graphic design stuff, along with my uh, my creative director, uh, John Schulman. He's been doing a lot too but yeah we've basically done all the all the graphics for the whole site it's been pretty cool so that um to get a little in depth to that that's the 
So I've never used Squarespace actually because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't want to grow my business. So I don't, I don't want to grow my business with a nice drag and drop CMS where, uh, with integrated marketing and analytics. Uh, so, so I haven't used that because I'm an idiot, but if you did, do you, um, do you go in there and like edit HTML and CSS? Is it more just making the graphics with like external products that you then? So they're pretty, uh, it's pretty plug and play by and large. I mean, I've had to do a little bit of coding type stuff, which is not my expertise, but luckily a lot of it is pretty telegraphed of like, just copy this code, put it here mm-hmm. and it'll work. Um, Cause there's just kind of like insertion points for code on the website um, through like the CMS, you know, the back end. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but like the, as far as images and stuff, I mean, I just make them Photoshop and then I just, uh, you know, kind of drop them in and it's easy enough. It's just like add an image to the article and then I add the image and then we're ship shape. Yeah. I don't have to, luckily if, I mean, if I had to build a website from the ground up, I'd be kind of screwed. So luckily, uh, it's a, a little easier than going through and coding a whole website by myself <laughs> right well i'm looking at the site now i seem to remember like some of the other i like the cards for the different draft prospects mm-hmm. did you do those no those are those are uh john and i took care of the uh the free agency board so that uh-huh. one was me we split those two up those are kind of our two big uh uh eye drawing features right that, that we made and then you know the front page obviously has you know a lead story and and some feature posts and that sort of stuff. Um, and, and, you know, the podcast and all that, but yeah, the, those, uh, the free agency board and the draft board, we want it to be kind of little standout extra parts mm-hmm. of the site that I think turned out pretty good. Yeah. Kind of those feature content pieces. Yeah, exactly. And, and like a hub, you know what I mean? Like both those things, it's like, it, you could go to the, the draft board or you can go to the free agency board just for like a quick hitter on all the different guys. But as time goes on here, I mean, we still have quite a bit of time between now and when free agency and the draft come around, particularly free agency. I think the NBA just said that, and the players association just said, yeah, they should expect it to be uh, a bit later than what they initially said, which was about midway through October, Mm -hmm. uh, probably because of collective bargaining issues or something. But, uh, yeah, so we got we got quite a while still to go. So there's there's quick hitting profiles on a lot of guys, but we have full profiles now uh, coming out. We already did draft wise. We've done our top four prospects, which were Killian Hayes, Lamelo Ball, uh, Anthony Edwards, and Onyeko Kongwu. Mm-hmm. And then uh, free agent wise, we've so far done Danilo Gallinari. We did on launch day, and then we just did Fred Van Vliet uh, on Monday. And we spoiler alert have. Uh, I think two more free agency profiles and one more draft profile coming out this week. Oh, I won't spoil nice. who, but yeah, there's some more stuff coming out. Uh, so the free agents you've done so far, you said are Fred Van Fleet and who? And and Gallo, and Danilo Gallo, Gallinari, the Rooster. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And news came out yesterday that um, people within the Knicks organization are are very high on Van Fleet and. I mean, so are some other teams. So he's going to be pro- possibly the biggest free agent target of the offseason. Yeah, it's actually, it was perfect timing. Like, literally, we dropped that piece in the morning. And, well, technically, I dropped it overnight, but whatever. Uh, it, it, you know, we got our tweets out and whatever in the morning. And then 
like minutes later, Shams put out that report that said that uh, the Knicks were interested in him. So we were like, oh, well, that's fortuitous for us. I guess maybe maybe there'll be another report tomorrow about the guy that we're going to talk about tomorrow as well. But I, I don't know for sure. I, I kind of doubt it. I think that was a, a once in a once in a free agency cycle uh, stroke of luck right there. Right. Um. Cool. So I guess talking about the draft, because the last piece of of uh, Nick's related news to happen was the lottery. Um, yeah, I saw your live reaction. It was it was about what I was feeling, too. Oh, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, like, and it happened so quickly, too. We, we, like, last year, we kind of had that commercial break of drama, and then this year, it's just like, ah. Yeah, it was very anticlimactic. It right. was like, yeah, it was like the, uh, I think I tweeted, like, the meme of uh, of uh, Grandpa Simpson walking into the, the bar or whatever, dropping his hat, <laughs> and then immediately turning around and walking back out, because that was basically all it felt like to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Start watching for like Rachel Nichols talking about whatever. Uh, yeah, they were, they, I mean, they were saying stuff like, oh, and the Knicks are ha- like, are into Obi Toppin or something along those lines. But I don't, I don't see that happening. Yeah. I turned it off immediately after the actual selection got announced. And I was right. like, they're not, I, I, they better not be interested in Obi Toppin. That's like the one guy that I'm, I think I'm fully out on. Like I can even talk myself into Cole Anthony a little bit, but I don't, I don't think that I can talk myself into Obi Toppin. Yeah. So Obi Toppin, I guess his, and you haven't done a full draft profile of him yet. I don't know if you will, but I guess we the, will. Yeah. Okay. At some point he is, I think number nine on our board. I mean, there's no denying he does have talent. I just, right. uh, for me, it doesn't seem like the talent I want. Yeah. It's just yeah. all offensive and just absolutely nothing on defense. And he's more of an, I guess he does shoot threes, right? Yeah. He's like, I mean, he had decent volume this year and shot, I think like 36, 37%, something like that from college three. So you got to figure he could probably translate, you know, on wide open NBA threes, he could probably translate a 35% shot at some point, but I don't know how much he'll be able to make them, you know, the hand in his face or whatever, which is obviously the tougher shot in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, not that you really need to as a big uh, often, you know, you kind of just have to keep teams honest and show that you can stretch the floor out there. But yeah, mostly it's uh his defense turns me off. And uh, I, I spoke to Spencer Perlman at one point who said that he was talking to somebody that like gave him a description that Obi Toppin's center of gravity is his head. Uh, like he's extremely (laughs) top heavy you know he's all upper body strength and no lower body strength which is not going to cut it you know on defense in the nba right um so he plays defense with his arms yeah basically yeah and and and, you know just can't take it like if if he would be matched up one-on-one with a joel and beat or something he's going to get massacred Mm -hmm. uh but then if he gets switched onto a uh draymond green or or trying to think like a Gallinari type on the perimeter or something like that. He's going to get cooked too, because he has no lateral quickness. So it's kind of a lose lose. Yeah. They're going to, I mean, if, if they, any team that has Obi Toppin, if they were to get to like a playoff matchup against a good team, they're going to switch on Tim all the time with the point guard. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, uh, Cole, actually you mentioned Cole Anthony. So Mm -hmm. I also, you know, I wasn't too into him. Um, not that I really knew much, but it seems like he's of like of uh, 
the high point, higher end point guard prospects. He has one of the best three point shooting ability. Is that correct? You know, it's tough to say because the numbers say he doesn't. Um, okay. He shot really, really poorly from three in college this year. But the reason that I've kind of come around on him a little bit is I've read, you know, some pieces and, you know, you even read quotes from his coach at UNC, uh, Roy Williams, who flatly said, like, Cole Anthony is uh, it, like, we wish that he could have been the only person like on the team. Like, I wish I could have had five Cole Anthony's rather than the rest of the kids out there this year, because literally like him passing to anybody was, you know, more or less like almost a guaranteed failure because the team sucked so bad this year. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he had a really high usage rate. He played part of the year hurt. He was hurt for another part of the year and then came back and was trying to work off for us. So it's like, he can't really, I guess, read too much into his numbers, but the numbers were pretty abysmal. I mean, he shot in the 30%, 30 something percent range overall uh, and shot, I believe under 30% from three for the year or, or no, I'm sorry. He shot, about like 35% from three for the year, but really low percentage overall, but he was playing hurt for part of the year. He was literally like option one, two and three on UNC. So I, you know, I think you can make a case that if he gets on a team where he actually has some somewhat capable teammates, you know, he might be a better option, but I, I still wouldn't put him anywhere close to my, you know, top guys that I really want. Like I'd, I'd obviously much rather have, if it was somehow possible, Lamelo Ball, which probably mm. not, uh, but Killian Hayes, for example, if he drops, I would, I would probably much rather have Killian Hayes over Cole Anthony. Oh yeah, as an example. Yeah, I mean, I hope the Knicks feel that way. Um, have you heard anything in terms of what people inside the Knicks organization, what uh, point guard they kind of like internally? No, I'd be lying if I said I had any like yeah. sourced info on this. Um, just based off everything I've read, I mean, it seems like Cole Anthony had some fans in the organization, but then it's like, okay, well, was that on Scott Perry's end or is that Walt <laughs> Perrin? Right. Because, you know, Scott Perry was doing all their drafting or, you know, scouting for the draft prior to this along with his team of scouts. Now he's potentially on his way to Sacramento. Uh, to become their either GM or president of basketball operations or whatever. And, you know, he might be taking some of his scouting staff with him. So I, I think we're going to have to wait for probably another month or so. Uh, first, see how the Perry situation gets figured out and whether he ends up in Sacramento. But then also just see how much influence Walt Perrin, their newly hired assistant GM in charge of scouting, is going to have uh, on this whole process rather than, you know, rather than Perry, who was the entrenched guy. And they sort of, they renewed his contract, keeping his GM for another year, probably just to, to sort of ease the transition and everything uh, from one front office to the next. But, you know, I, I think that Perrin is going to be the bigger voice in the room here. And I, I guess we'll see how he feels about Cole Anthony. But honestly, if he felt good about Cole Anthony, I'd probably feel good about Cole Anthony as well, because we are talking about the guy that saw Donovan Mitchell coming, uh, yeah. which... It's no small feat. Yeah. And um, I mean, Cole Anthony was considered one of the top prospects in this draft before the college season started. Mm -hmm. It was like him, Anthony Edwards. Uh, I mean, Wiseman. Yeah. 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 LaMelo Ball kind of just worked his way. He was still a high prospect, but 
Yeah, Lamelo like showed his way to the top. You know what I mean? Like he, people had concerns about him, and he dispelled some of them. Some of the concerns, you know, people look at and they're just like, eh, you know, I, I think this is fixable. Like his jump shot and, um, you know, his defense stuff like that. You look at that and you just say, well, he's never really had like a NBA or big college level structure in his life as far as you know his play style and stuff. So you think with the physical tools you could fix that. But then, you know, yeah, you get guys like Cole Anthony. He's definitely a faller. You know, he he fell in the draft uh, pretty significantly. Like, there was there was buzz that if he really showed out in North Carolina, he could have been a potential number one pick. So, um, now he's probably staring, you know, the lottery in the face maybe. I mean, he might, <laughs> he might still stay in the lottery. There's a chance that he could fall out of it, though, uh, fall out of those top 14 picks. I, I guess we'll see. All it takes is one team to be high on him. It's such a wide open draft, you know, in general that it's it's kind of hard to really pinpoint. Like we're gonna have to just start seeing what the intel says about what teams like who and all that. Because really, anywhere outside of probably Lamelo and Anthony Edwards, I would say it, it seems pretty wide open. You know, I think those two are pretty pretty much a lock to go in the top four or so, uh, but outside of that i don't know it's it's kind of a crapshoot yeah it's a weird draft for sure and that's why i would say the knicks really should not trade up this year i mean obviously any deal you have to is an individual deal and it could make sense but i don't know it, it, i don't i don't feel like lamello ball is that kind of player where you want to like do what it takes to go get him yeah i guess it depends on the price right, right. like if it was I mean, I've entertained this idea and it seems almost sacrilegious, but it would be something I would be maybe interested in would be like if, if say, um, the Knicks had good intel that Okongwu was Mm going to make it down to them, you know, at eight. And there was an offer on the table where you could trade like Mitchell Robinson to Golden State for number two and take Lamelo. Like there's a world where I'd maybe entertain that just because sooner than later, like potentially as soon as next summer, you're going to have to pay Mitchell Robinson, like a big contract extension. Um, and it, just because of the nature of his contract, because he wasn't a first round pick. So the same rules don't apply where you can like go all four years with him. He he would become a restricted free agent next off season. But if they wait the full four years of his contract, he would become an unrestricted free agent. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, because because of how the rules work with second round picks versus first round picks. So sooner than later, you're going to have to start paying him, you know, presumably in the 10 plus million range. And it's not, you know, the center position isn't really a a premium position in the NBA anymore um, that you want to pay huge money to unless you already have everything figured out, uh, which the Knicks obviously don't just yet. So, yeah, I guess uh, I guess we'll see how that all works out. But, you know, that would be a, a. a scenario that I'd maybe entertain, uh, you know, as far as trading up, but if it costs like, you know, if, if you're trying to trade up with golden state, for example, and they're like, Oh, you have to give us pick number eight and Mitchell Robinson and, you know, Nilakina and a Dallas pick or something, then it's like, no, this, this draft isn't worth that. You know, right. it's not like you're trading up for John Morant or Zion Williamson. Uh, you're talking about LaMelo ball. Who's still, despite being one of the top guys in this class is still a deeply flawed prospect. Right. And I've thought about the same thing of Mitch for the Golden State pick. And I think it makes a lot of sense for Golden State. 
because they would be yeah, saving. Yeah, I think so too. Because yeah. they it would go from like eight million or whatever, which is the rookie scale contract for the number two pick, to the one and a half million that Mitch is making, and Mitch is Mitch would fit in well on that team. I think he's better than Kevin Looney. Um, they need a big, um, and he's ready to help them win a championship right now. So I totally could see that happening. Um, I don't know if I would do it or not. So uh, just to clarify the contract situation with Mitch. So he's mm-hmm. under contract for about one and a half million this coming season, 2021, 20 and 21. And then, then he becomes a restricted free agent or do the Knicks have like an option with it? Yeah. So basically the way that it works and this is like, you know, it, I was actually just talking to Jeremy Cohen about this yesterday. Cause I was kind of, I was refreshing my memory on this situation. So it's kind of funny that this comes up now, mm-hmm. but uh, basically, so he, he signed a four year deal when he first signed with the Knicks. Um, but it wasn't, you know, like, so when you get drafted in the first round, you get paid on a scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you get drafted in the second round, the team can pay you whatever they want. Uh, and a lot of teams, you know, a lot of times the guys will get signed to minimum deals, you know, like a, a like a one season plus one kind of thing, you know, like a first season and the second season uh, a team option or something like that. Like that's a fairly common second round deal. But in the case of the Knicks, they gave Mitch a little bit of extra money to sign him into a, lot, a longer term deal. So they wound up giving him, yeah, to, as you said, about about one and a half million you know, it's maybe a tiny bit more because he gets a little bit of incremental raises each year, but like basically one and a half million a season for four seasons. And it has uh, an option for, if I'm not mistaken, the third season and the fourth season, uh, or maybe just for the fourth season. But basically what's going to happen is, so this coming year will be his third season. Uh, at the end of the year, the Knicks well, so prior to the beginning of this season, the Knicks can offer him a contract extension that would negate the fourth year of his deal and kick in for the 2021 to 22 season. And I think the maximum what they could offer him is somewhere in the neighborhood of like four years, $55 million, uh, which averages out to about 13 and a half million per year. So they could offer him that before the start of next season uh, or I don't know if it's quite the same timetable as the the rookie scale extensions. Like if they want to extend Frank Nilakina, they have to do it by the time that the season starts, whenever that is this next season. I don't know if it's that same deadline for Mitch because of the nature of the deal, but they can offer him like four years, $55 million. Um, but that would then kick in and, and negate that fourth year of his deal. The, the other option is if they hit um, next off season and they haven't signed him to an extension, they can decline him and he would become a restricted free agent uh, if they don't pick up the fourth year of his deal. And that would give them the right to match any other contract. So there's a potential there where you could say to, you know, his agent, Rich Paul say, Hey, we want to, we want to see what we can do in 2021 free agency. We promise we're going to pay Mitch, but just don't sign any contract offers. Um, You know, so we don't get put on the clock to match them and clog up our cap space. Because uh, he would have a cap hold of like not that much more than what his contract was worth. I think you know like three million or something like that. And you know you figure he'll probably sign a deal on the open market. If he would sign a deal, it would probably be worth like fifteen million dollars or something like that. Um, so then 
you know, they could do that and then sign some free agents next off season, then either just sign Mitch themselves or let some other team sign him to an offer sheet that they then match, uh, whatever works out more financially advantageous for Mitch and then go forward with their lives. If they pick up that fourth year option, then in the 2022 off season, he becomes an unrestricted free agent and the Knicks then have no power over him at all. Mm-hmm. And he can, he can sign wherever he wants. And honestly, if it hits that point, he might already be jaded enough, you know, and, you know, Rich Paul is a, and he's a great agent. He's really good at his job. He's a, uh, he's sort of a descent stirrer. You know what I mean? Like he's a, he's, we saw with Anthony Davis, we've seen it with, you know, a number of other guys. Like he's, he's the type, he's trying to get the most money and everything for his client, but he also is not afraid to step on some toes to do that. Um, so he, he'll probably, yeah, there's a good chance that if Mitch hits unrestricted free agency, Rich Paul might, you know, push him to sign somewhere else uh, and potentially make more money or, or <laughs> sign somewhere that's advantageous for another Rich Paul client, you know, like create his own little super team, sort of like what he did with LeBron and Anthony Davis. Um, I guess we would see, but yeah, so it, it would get pretty sticky if the Knicks get to the point that they accept his fourth year option and don't have anything else in place before that. So sorry, that was kind of long. No, I, I, I wanted all that information. <laughs> so if uh, this coming season, if they don't sign him to an extension beforehand um, and and Mitch does pretty Mitch does well, uh, it's likely that the Knicks will decline his option and he'll for become, the fourth year yeah. and then let him hit restricted free agency and then resign him or match an offer. Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty likely like I, I feel like if he ends up playing based off everything that you know I know about his contract, I feel like it's pretty unlikely that he's going to wind up playing that fourth season for one and a half million or whatever, right. just based off the nature of his contract. Right, and yeah, so I'm I'm trying to figure out the price for Mitch, and that's I mean that's one of the reasons why you maybe want to trade him now because this is his most likely his last year that he's under a team friendly contract. Um, but yeah, would, so the, the extension they could offer four years, 52 million, which comes out to about 13, 13 million a season. Yeah. Roughly is, I mean, I've heard that there's no way Rich Paul and Mitch would accept that, but that doesn't seem like that's really undervaluing him based on what big men are being paid these days. Yeah. I, you know, it seems pretty pretty reasonable to me they might be i mean mitch would have to show more on the court quite frankly like you know statistically and everything on top of all the impact that he has but um you know they if i had to guess like as a high water number they'd probably be looking for something like what capella got from houston which was which i think was like i think it was like four years 85 million or something like that yeah um he, he got quite a bit um so they might be looking for maybe even a little less than that, but more than 55 million, you know, but like the, the extension that they can offer him maxes out at 55. And then, so if he wants more than that and they decide to decline that, then, then you run into that restricted free agency option uh, next off season, I think, which hopefully they'd be willing to play ball. And, you know, again, like let the Knicks like make some free agent moves first and then mm. sign an offer sheet or something, or, you know, if they want to be jerks about it, then, you know, they could take an offer sheet from somewhere else and say, nope, we're signing this. So even if the Knicks say like, well, we'll just give you that amount of money 
like don't sign the offer sheet so that we're not, you know, obligated to sort our crap out uh, here in the next like three days before we have to accept that. Um, but I, I guess we'll see right. how it all goes. It, it'll, it'll be an interesting off season next year, I think. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Cause his cap hold would be whatever he signed for versus the 3 million, which is pretty minimal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think his value, it's, it's really going to depend on if that three point shot that he keeps showing off on Instagram is actually real or not. Like if he can hit threes, even at like, you know, 34% clip or something like that, then he's a totally different type of player versus just a rim runner, uh, even a very good one. And, you know, 14 million is about 15 million is probably about as much as he's going to get per year. Yeah. I think, I mean, if I were him more so than working on a three point shot, which you know, cool. I mean, I, I, like if I were him and I was trying to model my offensive game after anybody, it would be Amari Stoudemire, I think. Mm. So I would be more concerned with working on that elbow jumper just okay. to keep teams honest. Um, you know, baby steps, you know, I mean, hey, you're, you're Larry, the athlete, you know, this. Right. like, sure. uh, you know, shooting a, shooting a mid range jumper, you know, with consistency is a lot easier than learning to shoot a, a three point shot with consistency. Um, so if he could just master that elbow jumper, you know, off a pick and roll just for a different option to keep the big man out enough to let like whatever guard he's running the pick and roll with get to the hoop, uh, easy enough, then that's, that's really all you need. I think, um, you know, and then if the, if he gets a, a good enough jumper that a three pointer can become a somewhat viable option, then that's awesome. Uh, but I, I don't know if he should necessarily be prioritizing that. I also think like, one of the highlight plays for Mitch this year, and I think I brought this up on the Locked on Knicks like a few weeks ago, but maybe a few months ago. I don't know. Time time doesn't exist to me anymore. I feel like I, I think I know what you're going to say, but keep going. Yeah, I am. Um, one of my favorite plays from him was a he took it from the top of the key this year and took like like one dribble, two steps from the top of the three-point line straight to the hoop and, and uh, dunked it. And it was kind of a Giannis-esque kind yeah, of move. You know, what I was he, thinking. He didn't have, yeah, he didn't have to bust out a Euro or anything because nobody was really expecting it, but I would work more on that if I was him. You know, just having that slight dribble drive ability, which we've seen him working on his handle as well, um, which, you know, that's tricky with a big. We saw Porzingis, you know, back in the day too, work on this handle that, you know, you watch him do it against nobody and it's it looks amazing, but, you know, he's seven foot three, Mitch is seven foot, you know, like, they have a high dribble point unless they're literally bent completely over, which defeats the purpose of them being a big player. Uh, but against a smaller guard with a dribble point that high, you're not going to be able to create much because uh, they're it's very stealable. But, you know, if he gets in a one-on-one matchup in a face-up situation against another big at the top of the key, it's a good. I think it's a good weapon for him to have to, you know, say if it's one of those deals where it looks like Mitch basically just receives the ball at the top of the key to then – you know, move it somewhere else to keep the offense going, you know, like he's just waiting for someone to come up to receive the ball, you know, off of a off ball screen or something. But if he sees a window now, you know, and he works on that dribble move a little bit, him being able to just put it on the floor and drive past that guy and get an easy two is something that I think could be really beneficial for him and a nice little curveball uh, that he could have to, you know, keep teams honest on the perimeter in that sense, you know, that they feel like they have to cover them tighter 
uh, and not, or that they feel like they have to drop back on him, which then maybe could help if he's, uh, you know, trying to pass off to someone close by to him so that then they don't have to deal with that help coming from the center on the perimeter. So it, it, there's, there's a lot of different things to consider with him, but I, I think honestly, as much as we hear about like, you know, Oh, Mitch needs to work on a three because stretch fives, whatever, you know, it's 2020. I don't think that's necessarily the first thing he's got to work on. I think he just has to work on diversifying his offense in some way. Um, be it a mid-range shot, be it the dribble drive, you know, whatever. And I, I think he's working towards that. So mm-hmm. I, I'm intrigued to see what what this next season is going to hold for him, particularly with with Thibodeau, who has, you know, in the past been pretty empowering to some of his big men, uh, particularly Joakim Noah. So I guess we'll see how that all goes. Yeah. I mean, that drive move to the rim, if he could do that consistently, I mean, that is Amari-like, as you were mentioning before, that type of athleticism. And then... I'm sure he would get a bunch of and ones and get to the line a lot where I guess at least in the beginning of this past season, he was pretty good from the line. So, yeah, he's not bad. You know, yeah. he's, I think he's passable as a free throw shooter. Um, you know, he could afford to get better of course, but I think he's, I mean, he's no like early career Andre Drummond or something where you're just thinking like, <laughs> Oh man, I think he's hopeless, <laughs> right. which to Drummond's credit, he's actually gotten quite a bit better from the free throw line. Oh, um, yeah. I, yeah. 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 I mean, he shot, I think he shot like 65% this past oh, year yeah. or something. That's, that's yeah. like where he's not a liability. Yeah. Not like in the 40% level of liability. Right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I think there's definitely that possibility as well of him potentially getting to the line more, which would be great. Oh, my God. Remember, I'm having flashbacks to like, before this year's trade deadline when there were rumors about trading for Drummond as well as D'Angelo Russell. and Yeah, I mean, ultimately, for what Drummond wound up costing, I wouldn't have hated it if he was taking a shot. Yeah, it was just a second-round pick. Yeah, I mean, to think that he was available. And then, you know, people thought, oh, he's going to just hit restricted – or he's going to hit unrestricted free agency this coming offseason. But then he picked up his option. So he's – he's still signed for a somewhat reasonable like 18 million or something like that for his production. That's, that's really not bad. Like I, I wouldn't have hated that if the Knicks had picked him up. Cause then you would have been guaranteed. You have two really good centers. Uh, you know, you have a, a good center out there every minute of every game, which would have been intriguing to see. Although it's just a lot of, a lot of money and asset investment in centers. So that's its whole own issue, I guess. Yeah. Although this coming season, it's almost like they, the Knicks really can't waste money this coming season. I'm sure they're going to use their cap space to try and uh, collect assets, Well, or hopefully they'll do that. But I wouldn't worry about overpaying this year, anybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially if it's just a one-year deal. Right. I, I wouldn't worry about it too much. I mean there's all these arguments for and against maybe signing a guy like Van Vliet this off season to a somewhat big money deal. Um, because then you have a presumably a better free agent class next year uh, and a better draft next year. So it's like, do you want to, do you want to sign a guy like Van Vliet? That's going to, you know, potentially elevate you to maybe eight seed contention, you know, if he really balls out and this team develops a little bit, or do you want to, try to just be good enough to still kind of miss the playoffs next year. Um, because we've, we've seen these last two years now, how this new lottery system works mm-hmm. and, you know, there's a lot of movement now, you know, there's uh, two teams jumped the Knicks this year. Uh, three teams jumped into the top four last year. Um, so that, you know, there's a lot of movement in the lottery now. So if you can stay within that top 10, 
you have a pretty reasonable shot at the number one overall pick. But I, there's so many other questions too with this year where it's like, I think scouting is going to be a nightmare this year because who knows if the college basketball season is even going to happen. Uh, and if that doesn't happen, then you don't get to see anything past oh, high man. school for these guys unless like high school a year ago. Yeah, exactly. Unless some of them, like, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we're not quite to the point yet where they're college football, you know, is being talked about now, but we get another month or two down the line, we're going to start hearing about college basketball also. And, you know, if they're not going to end up playing, I think we're going to see sort of a exodus of guys breaking their contracts to go overseas or contracts by which I mean, you know, commitments to the different schools. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw, like, Kate Cunningham, you know, who committed to Oklahoma State and, you know, is uh, arguably the number one pick for next year. You know, he's in the conversation. If he broke his contract to go overseas to somewhere where coronavirus is figured out and where they have pro sports going again and, you know, just say, screw it, I'll just go, I'll make money. You know, maybe even go to LaMelo Ball's team in, in Australia, you know, go to the Illawarra Hawks maybe. Um, something like that. I, I think there's going to be an exodus of some of these top prospects because they're going to be like, I need to do something to separate myself from the field here. Um, and I'm not going to be able to do it, you know, if I'm not playing for whatever college I signed up for. So it, it'll be an interesting year for prospect scouting and stuff like that. And I, I wonder too, if some of these guys stand pat, if they're going to lose a lot of ground compared to some European prospects that are, you know, able to play and uh you know able to increase their stock whereas other guys will just be like well we're just going based off what we've seen which is just your high school film and then whatever workouts you put on your instagram or whatever because we can't really host in-person workouts yet so it's it's gonna be really intriguing and those instagram workouts are always a good representation yeah perfect yeah Yeah, they're they're perfect representations i mean mitchell robinson is basically honest now right and steph curry in the same time Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but seven feet tall. Yeah, he's yeah. basically going to redefine basketball next year. Um, of the of this year's draft, outside of let's say Lamelo, Killian, and Edwards, um, who do you like as like the next best prospect? Um, I don't know. I, I go back and forth on this a lot. Like, I guess it depends on what you're drafting for. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're drafting for stability outside of those three well all right so first off like okongwu is pretty damn good but like Mm -hmm. we already talked about like that's going to be like a huge fit versus best player available debate if he makes it to the knicks you know because i think there's a real case you could say that he will be the best player available if he makes it to the knicks but like is it worth it for them to go after him considering they have mitchell robinson already right that's like a whole nother question um uh, same deal for Wiseman. I don't know, you know, depending on how you feel about him, I, I don't think he's as good of a defender as uh, Okongwu. You know, he's yeah. not as good laterally and stuff like that and kind of has like Hassan Whiteside written all over him where he's <laughs> going to put up decent, you know, points, rebounds, blocks numbers, but won't actually help your team that much. Yeah, um, I also can't see. He probably won't drop to eight, but who knows? Yeah, yeah, probably not. I mean, some team will probably take the take the bait with him you know and say now we're gonna we're gonna give him a shot um but then like i'm trying to think who else i i will say i think my preferable outcome for the knicks this year is to to trade back i Mm. i think i would like that a lot better than standing pat because 
on top of like the draft pool itself, the Knicks have had a really tough time, you know, granted under a different regime, but they've had a really tough time with this draft range. And a lot of teams do because like, it's a tough spot to draft in. Like you're, you're having to weigh like production versus, you know, like guarantee production versus upside kind of thing. And then sometimes like, I feel like guys get missed uh, in this general range because teams are trying to prioritize and trying to like figure out what to do uh, in the, the, you know, six to 10 range roughly. Um, And that's why I don't, you don't generally see a lot of really great players coming out of that range because it's just kind of this weird range where you're like, well, this guy was, you know, was good, but not quite good enough to be in that top tier. You know, maybe it's some guys that like Wiseman or like, um, like Cole Anthony or whatever, where you're looking at them and you're saying, well, like going into this season, they were projected to be really good. They underwhelmed this year, but do we want to bank on what they did in the past rather than, you know, what they did this past season? Like, do we want to look back to their high school film or whatever, just take the chance anyway and assume that the talent was there and it was just a bad fit. So like, I think I'd rather just trade down. Um, if the Knicks stay at their spot, I've really liked Danny Avdia, uh, mm-hmm. basically the whole draft process, it, which he's a pretty imminently safe pick, but I think he also has a really high floor, uh, which is appealing. Uh, I think it, he's going to have a versatile offensive game, which would be nice. You know, I think that he'll play a four in the NBA long-term and he's a good passer. So I think you could have four or five pick and rolls with him and Mitch, which is a, always an interesting look to throw out in the NBA. Um, he seems like a pretty good finisher. He's really good in transition, like as a passer and as a, and as the you know guy running in transition, uh, he's really good in both those scenarios and he's a good enough defender. Like he, he tries really hard on defense, which is important. Yeah. Um, and his three point shot got way better during the Israeli restart. So, I like him. I don't think he's going to make it, though. I don't uh, think so either, but I also like him for those reasons. Yeah. And then, you know, there's Vassell, Devin Vassell and Isaac Okoro. I like both of them. I'm probably leaning more towards Vassell at this particular moment just because he has the more guaranteed production with the three-pointer. But he's, again, like a really a really high floor pick, but also a pretty low ceiling pick, I think. I think he just kind of is going to give you what he's going to give you. Um I guess like I'm trying to maybe get a little more involved with Tyrese Maxey because of the Kentucky connection now, uh, since they just uh, yeah. brought in Kenny Payne uh, to the development staff. I, I wonder if maybe they're going to look at Tyrese Maxey. Um, and then I, I think I would probably want to trade down and try to get uh, Alexi Pokashevsky or Kira Lewis or Kyra Lewis, how do you pronounce it? Yeah. It would probably, probably be my two top options right now because I think those two have – those are really low floor picks. Like, if they bust, they're going to bust. But really high ceiling picks. Like, if Poku is it ends up as good as he's going to end up, like, he would be like like Porzingis if he gave a crap about passing the ball. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, Kyra Lewis, like, he's – super speedy you know pretty decent uh you know getting to the rim and stuff like that and you know he seems to have a pretty decent perimeter shot so i I think that he could be you know if he reaches his top potential you're looking at someone who's almost like a De'Aaron fox i think yeah Um, 
I, I watched a, a highlight reel of him the other day and I was impressed. Um, yeah. So trading down, I like I like what you said because of this range. There's so there's such a wide uh, range of of possible possible outcomes for all these guys. So like, why not trade down since it's all kind of a crapshoot? And you, when you could get Kyra Lewis or even like Cole Anthony at twelve or something. Yeah, like a pretty big difference maker to me that I, I keep bringing up. You know, I think if I think if Halliburton makes it to the Knicks pick. Mm-hmm. Halliburton is a guy that I think would be really appealing to a lot of teams that, you know, say the ones that were just in the bubble, you know, like uh, like Phoenix or San Antonio or, you know, some team like that that has even like, I mean, they're, uh, Boston owns um, Memphis's pick, if I'm not mistaken, yes, uh, right at the end of the lottery. And they also have a couple extra first rounders, you know, late in the first round. It's like their own and I forget who else is, but they have two picks in the mid to late twenties. It looks like they have um, Milwaukee's. Milwaukee, yeah. So like two picks, like all the way at the end of the first round. Yeah. But I mean, if they felt so inclined, maybe they would be like, "Hey, we'll give you fourteen, right. you know, and uh, twenty-six yeah. or whatever their pick is, uh, and, and you know, we'll give you those two to move up to eight to take Tyrese Halliburton, and then the Knicks." from that point could just say, okay, we'll we'll go to 14 and whoever's there out of our sort of, uh, out of our sort of long shot, you know, prospects, you know, be it Pokashevsky or, or Kyra Lewis or whatever, just take whoever's there and take the star upside, collect the extra asset. Then we get another pick towards the end of the first round. So then they'd have three first round picks, uh, and one second round pick for this year. And, you know, all four picks inside the top 40, you know, I, I think that would be a pretty solid strategy for a team that's just like, like low on overall talent and still just needs to be in a talent acquisition phase. I think that's yeah. the way to go. Um, and there's plenty of like, you know, shooters and stuff available in that, that late part of the round, you know, you can get like a Desmond Bain or um, there's a, a, What's the guy's name? I'm forgetting. Uh, Nesmith, you know, you could go after him or someone like that. Um, all kinds of guys, like right at the sort of the turn of the round there that you could get. You get like Killian Tilly, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, who might be around with your other pick, you know, the second round pick as well. Trey Jones, maybe from Duke, you know, for a good steady bench point guard. Um, just like there's all kinds of options that you could potentially go for uh, with those late first round picks because this is a pretty deep role player sort of draft it seems like so right and yeah. interestingly we'll, we'll say trading to 14 would be interesting because i think walt perrin said that it's like there's a top 14 and then it's kind of wide open yeah yeah and you know that some team is going to feel different about that and sure you know some some guy is going to jump really high like i kind of based off talking to a few people i feel like pokashevsky might in some way sneak into the top 10 if some team just says like we need to take him and there's we don't want to take a chance that he you know we trade back and he goes further or something um it seems like he's like the the open secret basically mm-hmm. amongst the nba you know that everybody's like if you bring him up i think it was it was jonathan wasserman told me on on locked on Knicks this he's like if if you bring up pokashevsky you know any gm or scout is just like shh, shh, shh don't talk about him you know, because yeah. they, they want everybody to think that, you know, nobody knows about him. 
<laughs> right, but everybody probably does at this point. Of course they do. I mean, if you or I know about him, yeah. every NBA scout knows about him, you right. know? So, right. yeah, it's it's intriguing. It'll be a really... I would love to see the Knicks trade down, though. I would like it a lot less to see them trade up. Uh, I think right. that's, you know, I'd rather collect more assets this year and be prepared for future years, you know, maybe get a protected pick for next year or something. Uh, then it's it, sort of similar to like what, granted, obviously it didn't work out super great for them, but uh, similar to what like Atlanta did with the, uh, with the Doncic trade, you know, get a, get an extra first round pick for the next year or something like that, move back a few spots and, you know, end up with a guy that you're happy with anyway. I mean, you could argue they're still happy with Trey Young, or they, they probably are. would have rather have Luka Doncic right now. Oh yeah. Um, I think everybody would. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, he doesn't even need Porzingis. No, <laughs> no, it's actually really funny. I guess it's kind of, uh, it's kind of been overshadowing Porzingis is like, injury woes and the fact that he's having to miss all these key games in the playoffs that Doncic is just going so crazy that it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a lot of good. Yeah. It's, it's going to be an interesting year and trading back, I think would, it would signal that even though they're going to be star hunting at some point, they're not beyond continuing to build and collect assets for at least a little while. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Macri just had some reporting, today in his newsletter that was pretty encouraging in that respect you know and there was also a little tidbit from was it the other day i think it was ian bagley uh bagley said something to the effect if i'm not mistaken that um you know the knicks have a lot of guys in mind and they're really concerned with you know hitting these these draft picks this year and um you know finding some like diamond in the rough type guys and stuff like that and then Macri today said as well, you know, don't be surprised if the Knicks entertain the idea of maybe trading back in the draft. Like it's maybe being overreported their interest to sort of uh, speed up the rebuild this offseason mm. and go after someone like Chris Paul or something like that. Um, you know, and, and they might actually be more content to just kind of keep the rebuild going this year and try to add some young talent than is than is being reported. So I guess it's all just kind of a mystery box right now. I guess we'll just have to see, you know, we've seen a lot of talk, but unfortunately it's still going to be a while before we can see any actual actions taken other than front office hires and coaching hires and stuff like that. But right. thus far, it seems so far so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think even if they wanted to speed up the rebuild, there's really, besides Chris Paul, there's really not that many avenues to do so this year. Yeah. I mean, maybe, Levine, if he becomes available, I hope you know, they don't do that. I don't know if I would want to do that, but that's certainly one of those moves that you can make where you're like, well, we're adding like a quote unquote star, you know, mm-hmm. um, like a fringe all star that, you know, did play well under Tibbs, like had one of his best career years under Tibbs. So I guess you can make sort of a case in that regard. But um, yeah, it, other than those two, I mean, other, I, I do think, I mean, this is purely conjecture on my part and this isn't like sourced or anything but if you look at philly with how they just went out in the playoffs granted they didn't have simmons but they still got swept uh by boston and it wasn't pretty in many cases um they have like going into next season over 150 million on the books i think yeah uh which the salary cap 
won't be going up. It doesn't seem like it seems like it's probably going to either hold or maybe slightly go down based off the COVID situation. That means that they're probably going to be somewhere in the like 40 million over the cap kind of range, which is for sure going to put them into the luxury tax and limit their ability to do very much to build around Simmons and Embiid. So the way I, I think I put out a tweet about this yesterday, like the, the way I see it is this offseason, they're either going to have to offload Horford and maybe someone else like Richardson or something and attach assets to get them out of there. Or they're going to have to entertain the idea of trading one of Simmons or Embiid if they want to add some assets and decide like, okay, one of these two guys is the one that we want to build around, which I think it would be Simmons based off how they've kind of yeah. conducted themselves, you know, with plus like if you would trade, if you would trade Simmons and you're left with Horford and Embiid and all that, and that's a horrible fit. If you trade Embiid, you still have Horford there to play center and who can shoot threes better than Embiid ever could is less of a post presence. So that allows Simmons to get in more easy into the post. Um, I, I think there's a decent chance they might look at trading Embiid. Also, he was giving like sort of weirdly politically correct answers that sort of seem to also acknowledge the possibility that he might be out of there um, during his like post game presser the other day after they lost. So that's, I, I guess if we're talking about potential stars, that's another one that maybe could be interesting to keep an yeah. eye on. Yeah. And I agree that Simmons is the guy to keep if you're Philly, just cause he's so e- he's much easier to build around. You just kind of follow the Giannis model where you surround him with shooters and make him a point forward. Yeah, it would be pretty easy. Like, I think there's a real possibility. Like, so if if the Rockets, you know, even if the Rockets make it to the second round, there's talk like that D'Antoni might just choose not to come back there because mm-hmm. um, I think his contract is like technically up. Like, they'll need to re-sign him. It's not like a situation where he signed for another four years and they would be like firing him. Um, I, there's been all kinds of rumbling that he's going to be out of there. So, I mean, if you would get a situation where he becomes available and then philly can sign him to have ben simmons be like his supersized steve nash basically <laughs> um right. you know and and go out there and just sling it around the shooters all around the perimeter that would be a pretty pretty solid coaching player style combo there um so i i guess we'll see but yeah to, exactly like if they're going to get rid of one based off the hole they've sort of dug for themselves at this point uh, and Bede would make more sense to get rid of, I think, than Simmons if you want to trade someone and get assets rather than, you know, attach a whole bunch of assets to get rid of someone. Which, like, this is also sort of not really talked about much anymore, but the, the Sixers covered is, like, finally bare. Like, they don't, yeah. it, they don't have any of those process assets kicking around anymore. Maybe, like, one or two second-round picks still, but that, like, treasure trove of you know, draft picks that they had for so many years, it's gone now. It's spent. It's all done. <laughs> yeah. And they're going to be forever cursed for the way they fired Hinky. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. The curse of Hinky, right? Yeah. yeah. I guess but, we'll see long-term how that ends up working out. Right. Well, they'll, I think they'll have the most interesting off season because they got to do something. And yeah. We it's, already know they're getting a new coach in front office. Yeah. I'm intrigued by like a few teams this year because the, salary implications are going to be more at the forefront, I think, than they ever have been where, you know, I think some of these kind of smaller market ish teams or just teams with owners that aren't particularly fond of spending a ton of money 
uh, are going to look harder at like, hey, how much are we paying in luxury tax again? Like, you know, go to the cap expert and say, hey, can you explain to me one more time, like how much this is going to cost me this year? Because we just lost like millions of dollars, (laughs) like hundreds of millions of dollars on COVID. Um, And, you know, it's it's probably going to be a lot less palatable for some of these guys to dish out like a, you know, hundred million dollar luxury tax bill for a team that's going to get, you know, in the Sixers case or, or even like Portland, you know, Portland has a pretty good amount of money doled out between uh, Lillard, McCollum, Nurkic, um, and a couple other guys on that team. You know, it's going to be intriguing to see how some of these owners approach this idea of like, well, uh, what am I really paying for this year? Because I can't just afford to, you know, uh, bank on like, you know, a good regular season and one round of playoff gate, you know, money uh, when, you know, we might not have an in-person playoffs again. And, you know, maybe we'll have to do a bubble again next year and all this other stuff. And there's going to be all kinds of losses of revenue still going into next year that these teams might not want to pay all that luxury tax. So yeah, it's going to be intriguing. Yeah. Yeah, OKC could be one of those teams as well, unloading assets. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like Chris Paul could essentially become available for free. Yeah. You know, that, that's yeah. a real possibility. And I brought that up like as a potential for the Knicks, and some people kind of scoffed at it. And I was like, you know, I don't, I don't even really blame you if he was totally free. I wouldn't because, hate it. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't hate it. I also wouldn't love it. You know, the, the main thing I don't love is that you don't know what's going to happen to the salary cap next offseason. But one thing we do pretty much know for sure is like, the NBA Players Association is really good at taking care of their players as far as making sure that the players get the money that they were guaranteed on their contract. So, and Chris Paul is literally the head of the Players Association. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, if it would get into, into a situation where the salary cap is going to take a huge hike downwards, I don't think that the players are going to accept, like, prorating their contracts to reflect it or anything. Yeah, um, definitely not. And so then, you know, you could have a situation where maybe Chris Paul in the 2021 offseason making $45 million is literally eating up half of your salary cap by himself. And that would just be a really ugly situation to be in, I think. Yeah. Uh, I mean, unless they're planning to continue rebuilding for another year. But if you get Chris Paul, I don't think Chris Paul is going to want to do that. No, I mean, look at what you just did for the Thunder. Yeah. You know, people thought the Thunder were going to suck this year, and now they're, you know, I think yeah. they're, what, tied with Houston right now, yeah. right? 2-2. So, and Chris Paul is a big part of that, so. For sure. All right, well, thank you for coming on the pod, Alex. Uh, mm-hmm. Congrats on the new site. Best of luck with that. Yeah, thank you. Thank uh, you. That's it's been the very strict, exciting. thestrick.land. Right. Yep. Yeah. Very interesting URL. So yeah, yeah it's www.thestrict.land. And then, you know, as you mentioned, locked on Knicks as well. So definitely check that out. And uh, I'm on Twitter at the Alex Wolf. If you want to find me there for my, you know, basketball takes. Oh, and it's at the Strickland and at locked on Knicks. All uh, good on Twitter follows. for those as well. Very much. Check that out. Uh, I, of course, am at Larry the Athlete on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Bumble. You could subscribe to Larry No Sports wherever you listen to podcasts. May the rest of your days be days of thunder. Good night.